Hi, everybody. It's Colin from dmbnews.net. Welcome to the latest dmbnews.net podcast. We're at the end of May 2011, and our guest this week is the author of the upcoming Dave Matthews Band biography, So Much to Say, DMB 20 Years on the Road, Nikki Van Noy. Thanks for joining us, Nikki. Thanks for having me, Colin. I'm happy to be here. So before we start talking about the book, can you tell me a little bit about how you first uh, were introduced to Dave Matthews Band's music and how you became a fan? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was a very grudging DMB fan at first. Actually, I uh, all my friends loved DMB when I was in high school, and I was just tired of hearing them all the time and didn't really get it. I just kind of heard Under the Table as a studio album. Uh, and then in 96, when I was in college in Boston, I had a roommate who just talked about DMB and the shows specifically all the time. Um, so finally, I went with a show, to her with a show at Fleet Center, and it wasn't so much that I wanted to go as that I didn't want to hear about it anymore. Um, <laughs> so anyway, thank God she took me. I mean, I had to really eat crow on that one. They opened with Seek Up that night, and I remember just like probably less than two minutes into it being completely floored. I think all it took was uh, hearing Leroy's saxophone, and I was done and never looked back after that, so... And just grew and grew ever since. How many shows do you think you've gone to since? You know, I honestly, I'm not one of those people who has count. I think that I'm probably somewhere around the 100 mark. Um, nice. th- yeah, and especially in the last couple years writing this book, I've really, I, I mean, I probably went to about 20 shows last year alone. Before that, it was probably more like somewhere between 5 and 10 shows a summer up until 2008. So I'd imagine the research for... This book was a pretty uh, awesome task. Um, you know, it's not just a a book that goes over the history of the band. It involves a lot of uh, fan input as well. And um, as you just said, you had to tour around uh, the country for a while following the band and talking to fans at different shows. What was that experience like? Um, I mean, it was awesome in both senses of the word. It was, you know, it was an amazing experience. Talk about a, a dream job for a writer and a DMB fan. I just... You know, I still can't get over how lucky I was to be able to do this. Um, but it was also awesome in the sense that there are just, you know, not only are there a lot of DMB fans, obviously, but it's a fan base that I have a lot of respect for. I think because I knew so much about them as a DMB fan myself going into this, and, you know, I really understood how much the experience meant to them and the band meant to them. So, you know... I think that was the big challenge, both of interviewing and the book in general, was really making sure that what I was writing kind of did did the experience people were having justice. So, you know, and that was part of the interview process, too. But I just I got to talk to so many amazing people and. It was kind of a problem just because they were such enjoyable conversations that I'd have like two-hour interviews and then have to sit down and transcribe them. I'm lucky I didn't get carpal tunnel in the process. <laughs> Must be it's tough, you know, trying to treat it like a job when you're just you know, hanging out in parking lots with people tailgating um, to kind of get sucked into that whole atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, going to the shows definitely changed for me in the last couple of years because of that. But I will say I was kind of going more to the shows to meet new people 
and then interviewing more like when I got home. I was doing a lot of interviews over over the phone. So the shows were more to kind of get out there and network a little bit and of course to soak up the vibe and I wanted to be sure that I was there for the shows that I knew were going to be big so that I could write about them having seen it like obviously you know the Seaville show in November and stuff like that I knew that I needed to be there what was your was that your favorite show of the ones that you went to last year oh god uh yeah Charlottesville was pretty amazing I have to say I actually went to a sh- I went to uh all three shows in Italy last winter and the Padova show was one of the better DMB shows I've ever seen and I think that the difference between Padova and Charlottesville was Charlottesville I went in there knowing it was going to be an amazing show and Padova just kind of came out of left field and was a great show and you know I think that's when DMB shows are at their best when you're just kind of there for what you expect to be an average show and then it just blows your mind it was one of those times i agree i was at the uh shoreline show last year um just because i had to go to san francisco for work and they happened to be playing there so i went out the weekend before and um standing in i just got my beer and i was standing in the line to go through the ushers we had like eighth row seats and Uh the band came on i was like oh come on i gotta get to my seat you know and start getting anxious and the they started playing The Last Stop, which is like the last song I ever expected them to open with because it was still, you know, only been played a couple times up to that point. And it, it's, the whole show just picked up from there. It's it's true what you say that it's those shows that you don't expect, just, you know, random shows and places that don't get a lot of buzz on the message boards. Can I tell you, I'm so bitter about that particular show because I always go to Shoreline and I didn't this year. So, of course, I I immediately am getting text messages about the last stop opening. So, But that's the thing about the band. I mean, you know, I went to so many sh- – everyone knows this. I went to so many shows last year, and I still feel like there was stuff I wanted to see that I didn't. So, Right, or stuff you anyway. wouldn't expect that they just come out with. Yeah, totally. I didn't know you were planning on going to that one and didn't go, so sorry, didn't mean to uh, rub salt in there. <laughs> yeah, well, you're rubbing in. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> what was the experience like seeing them in Italy compared to the States? You know, they're far less popular over there, and they, they don't play the same types of venues that they play here. Yeah, Italy was a crazy experience. I mean, um, first of all, I think probably most people have heard about Confusion um, at this point, which is, you know, the big Italian fan site. And it's really interesting because since they don't have the band there like we do all the time, they have cover, well, we have cover bands here too, but the cover bands there are a much bigger deal. Um, So we actually, the night before the first show in Milan, the community kind of gathered to watch a cover band and it was, you know, I mean, it was amazing. It was like this Italian dinner. Everybody sat down. They were all excited to watch the cover band. Um, so that was interesting to see in and of itself. And then they actually, going to the shows was also interesting because they watch the shows so much differently than we do. They actually sit down. And it's a much, at least in Milan and Rome, it was a much more quiet scene. Um but that's also not to say that they're not into it. They, they're they into it just as much as we are in America, quite clearly, but they're just more kind of listening and soaking it up as opposed to, you know, I mean, American shows are more like a party, I think. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that we get to see them more frequently, too. 
so. But it was really interesting because it is a different thing. It's, you know, they're just as into the band and it's just as intense, but it's a different scene. So when did you start getting the idea to express your, your fandom in some way and, and do a book? Um, well, I have to say, first of all, the irony of this book is that I have friends who are DMB fans, and I have friends that aren't DMB fans. And I actually, a long time ago, stopped talking about shows to people that weren't DMB fans because I felt like I'd be so excited about a show, and then I'd try and explain it, and people weren't getting it, so it almost felt like it would take away from the experience somehow. So that's the irony of the fact that I then decided to write a book about it. But um, I first had the idea in late 2006, and I was working in publishing. I had worked in publishing for quite some time, and I was editing a book, and I just got really fed up. It was Christmas time, and I was in Boston. My family was in California, and I was, at, like, basically rewriting this really painful book. And, uh, you know, I think I was just frustrated with my job, and I started realizing that I had was spending so much creative energy editing other people's books that I wasn't really working on anything of my own. So... Just out of frustration, I started writing, and I wasn't really thinking about what I was writing about, and I ended up writing about a DMB show. Just It was the first place that my mind went. So I kind of had the idea to start writing about them then, um, but I didn't really have a solid idea of how I was going to go about it. So it was in the back of my head. And then in 2008, after Leroy died, I was at the Gorge and Berkeley shows right after, and you know, they were. it was a really sad time, but it was also a really special time, just watching everyone come together and kind of share their memories and stuff like that. And it was at that point that it really occurred to me that no one was going to tell the story of DMB better than the fans. So that's kind of how it all came together, was based on that 2008 experience. Obviously, talking to the fans is a big part of it, and... and what kind of other research did you have to do in terms of, you know, tracing the band's history and, and all that? I know that there's, you know, a lot online, but I'm sure you went, went deeper than that. Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously there's so much stuff online, which was so helpful. Um, I went back and talked to some people that were around in the early days. I talked to a couple journalists in Charlottesville who were not only journalists, um, you know, at the hook, but they also were in the same artist community that the band was in at the time. It was this big fusion of, of musicians and writers and everyone that was creative around Charlottesville. Um, and people like that were particularly helpful in the early chapters, which is before the fans were around to tell the stories. In a lot of ways, these were the earliest fans because they were watching their friends play clubs in their hometown. Um, I got to talk to Mark Roebuck, who was writing songs with Dave in the beginning, and that was, he was great to talk to. Um, and I also talked to Stefan. He's the one band member that's in the book. So that was really interesting, too, to kind of hear their side of it also. So there's, you know, there's a few different players in here. There's also a guy called Colonel Bruce Hampton, who DMB was opening for his band, in the beginning, and it was great to hear, you know, his memories about DMB when they were just a little baby band still. He's the guy from uh, Aquarium Rescue Unit, right? Yes. 
exactly. Great guy. He was hilarious. I'm sure you learned a lot that you didn't know about the band, but what was, you know, if there was one thing that you would highlight that you didn't know about the band that you learned in the course of researching and writing this book? You know, to be honest with you, I think that the surprising thing to me was that I didn't really learn anything that I didn't expect. Um, I think it just, hearing people's stories was amazing to me. Almost every person I talked to was so articulate about the band and about their experiences and and really hearing how, you know, obviously DMB starts with the music, but it goes into so many other places because people have built friendships around the band and they've, they've traveled around to see the band. So I think that just the richness of it was, you know, phenomenal to hear. And I think the other thing, and this really isn't surprising, I think, when it comes to this band, but... You know, the people that really knew them in the beginning or that know them now in whatever capacity, no one – everything that everyone has to say about the band is just amazing, you know, just about what humble people they are and and how normal they are in the midst of all this. It just – the whole thing was, was impressive from beginning to end. It was a very feel-good experience. Some of the – Highlights in the book description, you know, talk about some of the um, downer periods for the band, like when the whole Lily White Sessions uh, fiasco and obviously the death of Leroy on a much uh, bigger scale. What kind of, you know, things did you hear from the fans about those two really trying times of the band's history? Um, I think that the, the Leroy chapter the stories i heard about Leroy were just i mean people really across the board felt the loss of him i you know and i mean most people said i never met him a day in my life but it was just this loss i think it's something that people were very emotional were very emotional about so that was pretty striking and i think that that kind of in a nutshell says so much about how people you know, feel about the band. And one of the the most difficult sections of the book to write actually was um, there's a couple pages about the Gorge shows in 2008. And the reason that it was so difficult was so many people were there and, you know, either interviewed about it or wrote in about it in such really original, beautiful, heartfelt ways and I could only use so much of it. So deciding which ones to use was really, really difficult because there were just so many options. And it was all good stuff. I didn't want to cut any of it. Um, and in terms of the Lily White sessions, I think that the most interesting part of that, to me, well, the Lily White sessions, you know, I think one of the most interesting parts of that to me actually was hearing Stefan talk about it um, and just sort of saying what he may have done differently about it, you know, knowing what he knows now. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it also made me, I think that on a day-to-day basis, you're not necessarily always thinking about the full history of the band, but in a situation like this where you kind of put it all together, I really realized how just inseparable the Lily White sessions are from the band's entire history. I mean, things could have gone in a very different direction without the Lily White sessions. And 
I think that they're also a great example of how, you know, and, and maybe kind of by happenstance, but how on the cutting edge of the music industry DMB has been all along, just as things have, you know, kind of changed from the old way the industry worked into being more digital and there being more music sharing and stuff like that. They've kind of been on the cusp of everything happening. I mean, they were really the the first big Napster leak. So it's interesting to look back on it that way, too, and see how it affected things in a broader way. It's interesting to look back on things, too, you know, with all the stuff that has come out since um, Big Whiskey was released and you hear things about how, you know, Dave wanted to break up the band and there was all this infighting and, and they weren't really in a good place and, these are kind of things that the fan base who is, you know, pretty tuned into the band's, you know, inner workings um, really didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when you talk to people, it sort of seems to make sense to most of them in retrospect. You know, there was a period in like maybe 2006 where, I mean, I, I guess the real problem with it is the show's. Net, the the bar for them is just so high. The shows were always still good, but I I talked to several people who felt like there was some sort of spark that was kind of lacking at that point that they couldn't quite put their fingers on, you know? So I think that people kind of see that in retrospect, but yeah, I mean, you're right. At the time, for as looped in as people are, I don't, I don't think that people ever really understood exactly how treacherous i guess it was for lack of a better word right i mean even if you could kind of see it in the music in retrospect you know you never saw anything between the members of the band you know like dirty glances on stage or anything like that so that part, <laughs> right, that part of exactly. it was, <laughs> you know when it when those documentaries came out it was kind of shocking at first you say i can't imagine them you know ever fighting or anything they always yeah. they always seem so close and you know laughing and smiling at each other on stage and having a good time yeah, yeah, I know, totally. Yeah, so, you know, and I think that that's part of the thing, too, when, you know, when the news about the break, which, you know, obviously didn't really happen in 2011 came out, I think that that was part of the anxiety that came along with that, too. And I don't think people are really worried that they're going to break up, but I just think because everybody knew at that point then what had, you know, happened earlier on, there was that moment of, of kind of concern right. about it, but... Now that we know they considered it once, it's always going to be in the back of our minds now. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but it's funny. I mean, I've obviously I'm done writing the book now, but there was this one guy I talked to, uh, and he was a deadhead before he was a DMB fan. And, you know, I was asking him, what was it like when Jerry died being a deadhead? Like, all of a sudden, it was just the end of this lifestyle for you. And he was saying, honestly, it was awesome because I could finally buy a house. I had enough money to pay mortgage. <laughs> and, you know, I've kind of been hearing that from a lot of people about this year. Like, I think once they had reconciled themselves to the fact that there weren't going to be so many shows, like, people are having babies now. They're going on these trips they wouldn't have gone on otherwise. So it's kind of interesting to uh, to see what people are doing with the time. And I think 2012 is going to be even more fun than usual because some people are taking a bit of a break from it this year. Right. Are you going to any of the caravan festivals this summer? No. Ironically, this is the first summer I'll miss in 15 years. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm one of those people. I, I'm I'm working this summer, so I kind of can't. But I also 
when I thought they weren't going to do anything, I decided to to put the money toward a trip. So I'm going to Ireland instead of shows this year. Nice. That'll be yeah. Fun. Yep. Something different. So the book comes out in June. Is that correct? That is June 7th. And it's available for pre-order now on Amazon and I'm sure other places as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty much everywhere right now, and, and there are ebooks available from Kindle and Nook, too. So it's out there. Again, it's called So Much to Say, Dave Matthews Band, 20 Years on the Road. Nikki Van Noy, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Colin.